We are working through this series of messages we started last week to examine our church's newly adopted core values. We've identified eight core values that we as a church are going to to believe and, and abide by. And last week we looked at the first one, which is about being biblically faithful. We talked about what that means not only for us as a congregation, but individually, that we should be doers of the word and not hearers only, that we should radically obey what we read in God's word. And being biblically faithful, then, that means that that informs everything we do as Christians and as a church. In other words, these eight values should all reflect being biblically faithful, including the value about worship. Worship is one of the most fought over and misunderstood functions of a New Testament church. You know, we've heard for decades about these worship wars where people fight over musical styles or song selections or the instruments on the stage or how should the preacher dress? Should we use a hymnal or a screen? Do we print an order of worship or not? Do we take up the offering in the middle or at the end? What time should worship start on a Sunday morning? You know, churches have split and people have quit church over these kinds of issues. Let's just stop and think about that for a minute. Can you imagine splitting Jesus' church, dividing the body of Christ? Can you imagine quitting and walking away from the bride of Christ whom Jesus died for all because I don't like guitars? All because... I want to sing from a book instead of a screen? Or because I don't like a certain song or style of music? Or because the worship leader wears skinny jeans? All right, well, you might have a case on that one right there. Matt Ward, I'm thankful you don't wear skinny jeans. Thank you for that. Yeah, we all are. (laughs) I'm not wearing them either. But seriously, God doesn't care about any of this stuff, except for the skinny jeans part. I think he might care about that. But God's heart breaks over churches that split and over Christians that walk away from church over carnal issues like these. Because people don't get their way. We've missed the point of worship because worship isn't about me. It isn't about you. It isn't about what I like or don't like. It isn't about music style or instruments or technology. Worship isn't about any of that because worship is about one thing and one thing only, and that is magnifying the name of our God. In his book, Worship Matters, Bob Coughlin defines Christian corporate worship like this. To magnify the greatness of God and Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, By skillfully combining God's Word with music, and I would extend that to say other forms of artistic expression, it's taking those forms of expression, combining them with God's Word, thereby motivating the gathered church to proclaim the Gospel, to cherish God's presence, and to live for God's glory. In this definition, we see some key ideas that worship is about magnifying or focusing in on or zooming in on God's greatness, who God is, what God has done, especially in the person of Jesus Christ. And we do this in the power of God's Spirit, in accordance with God's Word. And worship is an expression. It is our response for who God is and what He has done. 
Worship is one of the primary reasons that God created us. It's one of the main functions of a New Testament church. And so, in all of our conversations as a strategic revitalization team, worship was central. We talked about worship often. Worship is the first phrase in our mission statement. Loving God, loving people, and making disciples of Jesus from all generations. We start with our loving God in worship. Worship is one of the missional measures, one of the the measures of discipleship that we have set as a church. One of the ways we can act like Jesus as we love God is by worshiping. Worship is the first step in our discipleship process that we adopted. Come in worship, grow in groups, serve in love, go on mission. We start with worship. Come in worship. And worship is one of our values, our core values. But what kind of worship do we value? Traditional worship? Contemporary worship? Neither. Again, that misses the point. What we value is authentic worship. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to worship authentically? Worshiping God in spirit and truth, both personally and together. Say that with me. It's there on the screen. Worshiping God in spirit and truth, both personally and together. Now, I want us to look at a few passages from the Gospels. To begin to unpack what this means to worship God with authenticity. Turn with me to John chapter 4. We're going to begin there. John chapter 4. Worship is mentioned only 13 times in the Gospel of John. Ten of them are right here in this exchange that Jesus has with this Samaritan woman. You may remember the story. Jesus is resting by a well under a shade tree while the disciples go into town for lunch. They're in Samaria, a land of people that don't exactly get along with the Jews. They're up north and and the Jews are down south and they just don't quite see eye to eye. And so Jesus is sitting there and He sees this woman come up and they begin to engage in this conversation and He's talking about the water from the well and using it as an illustration of the spiritual water that He comes to give and quench our thirst. And as they're having this conversation, beginning in verse 19, the woman said, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The first thing about authentic worship that we see is it's not about altitude, it's about attitude. Authentic worship is about our attitude. You know, as I was reading this story, I thought, man, it's amazing that even 2,000 years ago there were worship wars. You know, and so here Jesus has kind of been sucked into this debate by this woman. She wants him to weigh in on this first century worship war between the Jews and the Samaritans. She's saying, Jesus, what is true worship? Is it worship on this mountain or is it worship on that mountain? Now, 
The idea that God would prefer a certain mountain for you to worship Him on seems kind of silly to us today, doesn't it? It seems a little simple-minded. I mean, how could anyone ever get caught up in something so petty, arguing over what kind of mountain God wants you to worship from? You know, that'd be about like somebody getting hung up on whether God prefers music that comes from a string that's plucked versus a string that's struck by a hammer triggered by a finger hitting a key, right? It's about that same kind of silliness. And Jesus responded, neither matters. Because God is looking for true worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. What mountain you worship on doesn't really matter. Now let's imagine if Jesus had this conversation today with this woman. Jesus, what should we sing from? A hymnal or a screen? It doesn't matter. There's coming a day when you won't need either, for you will sing from your heart. Jesus, which is better to wear in worship our Sunday best or our weekday casual? Doesn't matter. There's coming a day when we're all going to worship in robes of righteousness. Jesus, praise choruses or hymns, organ or guitar, choir or praise band. And Jesus answers, you know what? I created music. I love the variety of musical instruments and voices and styles. So long as you praise me in spirit and in truth, it's all beautiful to my ears. Worship is not about a place. It's not about the physical. It's about the spiritual. It's not about our altitude. It's about our attitude. And the attitude we are called to have in worship is is one that is spirit-filled and truthful. Now let's unpack that for a moment. What does it mean to worship in spirit? It means the attitude of our heart acknowledges that God is sovereign and we express that attitude in spiritual authenticity. In other words, worship in spirit recognizes that God is God and I am not. It is humble. It is dependent on God's spirit because without his spirit living within me, without a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I can't really worship God in the first place. I can't come before His throne of grace except by the blood of Jesus Christ. But as a child of God, by grace, through faith in Jesus, His Spirit indwells me. And that Spirit within me recognizes His sovereignty and His holiness. And the right response to that is awe-filled worship, authentic worship. It's worship that comes from my heart. It's not contrived. It's not manipulated. It's not for show. It's genuine. That's the kind of worship we're to have if we're to worship in spirit. What does it mean to worship in truth? It means that our worship is honest. It's biblical. It's Christ-centered. We're worshiping God as He really is, not as we might like Him to be. It means that, that I'm also true to who I am when I come and worship. I don't come to worship putting on a pretense. I come, like the old song says, just as I am. And I come humbly as I am before God's throne of grace. So true worshipers must stop the mindless, endless, meaningless bickering over the sights and the sounds and the styles of worship because issues of temples and mountains are just fading symbols of the past. They're a mere shadow to the spiritual reality that is Christ Jesus. 
Paul addressed this as he was writing to the Colossian Christians in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. He said, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. God cares about our worship styles and elements in, only insofar as they help us to connect with Him in worship. And so no matter what your styles or preferences may be in worship this morning, whether you like hymns or choruses, organs or guitars, hymnals or strains, can we at least agree, agree on these three principles? First, we need to strive to keep worship simple and focused on Christ. That means we're not trying to just be flashy that means we're not trying to outdo the previous week's worship service the next week. That means we're going to keep our worship simple and focused on Jesus. Can we agree to that? Second, that we need to strive to worship with excellence. We need to make, to make it the best possible offering that we can bring before God. And I'm not just talking about the people up here on this platform. I'm talking about you. When you come to worship, are you coming with a heart and a mind that's ready to give God your best attention? Your best focus. Are you going to listen to the sermon and take notes and be intent about it? Are you going to actively be praying and seeking what God would have to say to you today? Are you going to sing to the best of your ability? And listen, all the Bible says is you've got to make a joyful noise. So just be joyful. Sing with a smile on your face. Do you pray? Do you give? Will you bring Him your best? And number three, no matter how good, quote-unquote, good worship is done without the Holy Spirit's involvement... There's no real worship happening at all. Listen, we can come up here and we can put on quite a show. We can put on a great presentation. But if the Holy Spirit's not in it, it's not worship. Can we agree to that too? With that said, how we approach worship can say a lot about our attitude in worship. So the second thing I want to see about authentic worship is it's about extravagance, not usefulness. It's about extravagance, not practicality. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14, it's Passover and Jesus is about to enter into Jerusalem for His final week. And it says in Mark 14 verse 3, while He was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. And the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. You can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. See, the disciples and the priests here were concerned about practical things. Jesus was concerned about spiritual things. They were focused on now. Jesus was focused on eternity. They were focused on results. Jesus was focused on relationships. And in our 21st century Western mindset, we tend to be like them. 
We want to focus on the end result, the bottom line. We want to know what our investment of time and energy is going to produce. Is it, what am I going to get out of it? How is this going to be helpful to someone else? And while it's not wrong to consider those things, and certainly we want to be good stewards of what God has given us, we don't want to be wasteful, but we need to understand there's a big difference between being carelessly wasteful and being intentionally extravagant. And that's what worship should be about. Jesus says worshiping Him is not about producing results. It's not about getting something from it. It's not about the bottom line. Worship isn't about us. It's not for us. It's not about efficiency. It's all about and for Jesus. He is our audience. He is the recipient of our praises. And because He is so amazing and so loving and so glorious and great, He deserves nothing less than us to give Him our best and to lavish extravagant praise and worship upon Him. Because He has lavished us with extravagant love. Remember a few weeks ago I preached on the parable of the prodigal son and I said that this story has really been misnamed. It's really the parable of the prodigal father because the word prodigal means extravagant. And in this story it's the father who pours out extravagant love and reckless grace on his wayward son. And that's the way our father loves us. And so shouldn't we love him and worship him the same way? Extravagant, maybe even impractical. It should be over the top. It should be our best. The outside world should look at what we do and think that's wasteful. But Jesus says, no, it's beautiful. We should worship God the way Jesus said we should love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. So to worship authentically means that we come ready to give Jesus our undivided attention. We come ready to expand our time and energy on Him. We come ready to give the very best of ourselves in worship and prayer and thanksgiving. Authentic worship, it's not about being useful. It's about being extravagant. It's not about our altitude. It's about our attitude. And and third, authentic worship is about being, not doing. Look with me, if you will, at Luke chapter 10. Beginning in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This kind of goes hand in hand with the idea of being extravagant rather than practical and efficient. Martha was all about being practical and efficient. She was working hard, trying to be a gracious host to Jesus, which is a a laudable goal. But she wanted Jesus to rebuke Mary because Mary wasn't helping her. Mary was content to just sit out there and just kind of soak up some Jesus. And that just wasn't, you know, that just didn't fly with Martha. But Jesus instead rebuked Martha for being consumed with worry over the details Mary, Jesus said, had actually chosen the better thing. Again, worship isn't about being efficient or productive. It isn't about what we accomplish for Jesus. It's about who we are for and with Jesus. I find it fascinating that the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, 
And he's been baptized in the Jordan River and he comes out of the water and the heavens open and the Spirit descends like a dove and the voice of God the Father says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Before Jesus had uttered a single teaching, before Jesus had worked his first miracle, before Jesus had called his first disciple, God was already well pleased with Jesus. Because the Father loved Jesus, not because of what Jesus would do, but because of who Jesus was. And the same is true for us. Jesus told His disciples in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants, instead I call you my friends. God wants us to be His children and His friends before we are His servants. And worship is our time to simply be in God's presence with our brothers and sisters in Christ, just loving and thanking and praising our Father in Heaven. Before we can serve God, we must worship God. That's why in our discipleship process, we begin with come in worship before we grow in groups or serve and love or go and tell others. It starts with worship. How can I serve a God I do not worship and know? If I do, I'm just a hired hand. I'm not His friend. How can I go and tell others about a God that I do not know and do not worship? It starts with worship. Worship is about being not doing. And finally, authentic worship is about believing, not seeing. It's about believing, not understanding, not having all the answers. In John chapter 9, we find the story of Jesus giving a man who had been born blind sight. And Jesus heals the man, and then Jesus is gone. And so the man never sees Jesus, never interacts with Jesus, but his friends, the man's friends, notice that he's... He can see and they say, well, who opened your eyes? And he says, the man they call Jesus did it. And when they ask him where this man was, he says, I don't know. I don't know. That that becomes the refrain through this story. I mean, Jesus, I mean, the the blind man is hauled before the the Sanhedrin and he's questioned. He's grilled by the Jewish leaders to, to explain how he was healed. And he just keeps saying, I don't know. I don't know. And they finally expel him from the synagogue. The man doesn't know much about Jesus. He declares, well, this man must be a prophet from God. How else could he give a blind man his sight? And that was about the extent of his knowledge. In fact, at one point, he tells the religious leaders, one thing I do know. After telling them all the stuff he doesn't know, he says, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And after the man was excommunicated from the synagogue, Jesus found him and asked him if he believed in the Messiah. And the man said, Lord, I want to know who the Messiah is. And Jesus says, the man to whom you are speaking and who gave you sight is the Messiah. And John 9, 38 tells us then, the man said, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. This man had no biblical training. He'd never been to a Sunday school class, much less a seminary. His knowledge of Jesus and Scripture was minimal at best. But he encountered Jesus and his life was changed. He was blind, but now he could see. He had been transformed by the power of God. And his response was what? Worship. He worshipped Him. Does God want us to grow in our understanding of Him and His Word? Yes. Does God want us to study and memorize the Bible? Yes. But we must understand that God's revelation 
to us and our response in worship isn't just about information. It's about transformation. Worship isn't about seeing. It's not about understanding and, and having our intellect satisfied. Worship is about believing. It's about placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and who He is and what He did for us on the cross and the empty tomb. That's what authentic worship is about. It's about believing. It's about being. It's about extravagance. It's about our attitude. As a church, we have committed, and I pray we will always commit, to being biblically faithful and authentically worshiping. And that means that we value worship that is biblically accurate and spiritually authentic. And if we really value worshiping God in spirit and in truth, then we have to commit to worshiping in two ways. We have to commit to worshiping personally every day. And we have to commit to gathering with God's people to worship regularly. See, Christian worship must include regular time with God's family in worship together. Jesus regularly went to synagogue and temple to worship. The early church worshipped together in homes and in the temple courts regularly. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 that we heard read this morning says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Y'all listen, we talk about the freedoms and the rights that men and women have fought and died to give us and to protect for us. And rightly so. We talk about the right to vote and how you should exercise the right to vote and go and participate in your government. And that is true. But how much more should we be taking advantage of and not taking for granted the freedom that we have to worship and live out our faith every day? There are Christians right now around the world that are gathering in worship at the very risk of their own lives. And they don't let that deter them. Yet what do we allow to deter us from coming and worshiping together? But Christian worship isn't just about coming together at 1045 or 11 o'clock or whatever on a Sunday morning. It's about that daily, regular time that you spend alone with your Savior. And if you're married and, and if you have children, it's also about that responsibility that you have to lead your family in regular times of worship. Listen, as much as I love to come and worship here with you all, I love my time to spend every day in worship with God, just me and Him. And as much as I love spending time by myself reading God's Word, I love taking it and reading it with my family regularly as well. And as Ben said, there's some great resources in the Faith at Home Center and online to help you Better worship at home on your own and with your family. In fact, the Strategic Revitalization Team has identified two specific ways that we as a church, especially as leaders of the church, want to embody this value. We looked at a few of those last week. Remember, for, for, for being biblically faithful, what are some ways we can flesh that out? I want to share two with, you, with you two ways we're going to flesh this out as a church. The first, your, your leaders commit to thoughtfully plan and prepare corporate worship, to maximize participation, and purposefully engage everyone in Christ-centered worship. Like I said earlier, we're not interested in putting on a show for you. If you're just sitting there passively, you're not actively participating in worship. We want you to sing. We want you to pray. 
We want you to engage with God's Word as it's being read, as it's being preached, actively asking the Father through the Spirit to reveal to you what He wants to say to you today and how He wants you to respond. We want you to sing. We want you to bring other people with you. We want you to, to, to put your, your spirits together with each other as if you're arm in arm worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. And we, as, as Matt and I, we commit to planning and preparing worship services that will maximize your opportunities to do that. And secondly, we commit to train and encourage people to engage in daily personal times of worship. Again, we want to resource you and equip you to help you to worship, not just on a Sunday morning, but in your personal walk with Christ day in and day out with your family. We want to help you. You know, you can't authentically worship a God you don't know. You can't worship God in spirit if His Spirit isn't living within you. You can't worship God in truth if you've not confessed the truth that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ today? You don't have to have all the answers. You do, like that blind man, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to understand. You just have to believe. You just have to encounter Jesus Christ and He will transform you for all of eternity. And then you can worship in spirit and in truth. So in just a moment as we stand and sing, I invite you to answer the call to salvation, to put your faith and trust in Jesus so that you can believe and you can worship Him. But there are those of us today who are Christians here and maybe you're active in the church and you're volunteering and you're serving and you're working and you're one of those people that's just kind of doing everything. But are you taking the time to worship God in spirit and in truth? Are you taking the time to just be in His presence as His son or His daughter? It's not all just about what you can do for God. It's what kind of relationship do you have with God? Maybe this morning you need to come at this altar and just pour your heart out to Him and just say, forgive me for being like Martha and worried about all the things I have to do and not taking the time to just enjoy being your child. Worship's not about you. It's not for you. It's not about getting results. It's about lavishing love and praise on the one who is worthy of it. Because Jesus isn't just the object of our worship. He's the subject of our worship. He's the very song that we sing. So as we sing right now, as we behold our God, I invite you to participate in worship by responding in obedience to whatever it is God has laid on your heart. Will you stand with me and pray? Let's sing and respond in an attitude of worship. Father, thank you for all that you have done for us. Thank you for who you are, a God of holiness and grace, a God of, of wrath against sin, but a God of, of mercies that are new every morning. Father God, we confess to you that sometimes our attitudes are wrong and sometimes we're selfish about things and we get nostalgic over the way things used to be and, and we can become short-sighted about what you are doing right now in this time and this place to reach people with the gospel, which is really all that matters. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us as a church to grow in authentic worship, worship in spirit and in truth. And, Father, whatever you've laid on people's hearts today, to come to faith in Christ for the first time, to come and to publicly profess that and seek baptism, 
to come to unite with this church, Lord, whatever it may be, I pray that their attitude of worship today, right now, would be one of trust and obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.